Good. Sorry. My fault. Apologize. Okay. Um, I'm just going to take my jacket off, I guess. Um. All right. Um, so, JVAC's passing out some Bibles if you need one. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn to Galatians 6, 11 through 18. This is going to be um, our last week in Galatians. Um, so today we're going to try and wrap up kind of what we've talked about over the last three or four months um, and just go through this last passage. Okay. Um, so uh, we'll read it to start. Um, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Um. All right, so in this passage, Paul kind of summarizes all of the arguments and themes that he's been laying out in the previous six chapters. Um, in verse 11, you can imagine him uh, taking the pen from his, his secretary and taking it and writing in his own hand. Um, See what large letters I use to you guys, write in my own hand for emphasis. You know, he's saying this is important. This is what you need to get. This is what you need to listen to. Um, And he proceeds to lay out two paths, two ways, um, the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh. Actually, he lays them out in the other order, but we'll get there. Um, So he says there's a choice. Um, On the one side is is the praise of men. There's fame and fortune. Um, there's, There's the good life. And all it requires is perfection. You just have to be perfect under the law. And you can gain all of the fame and the praise of men and everything. Um, And on the other side is grace. Um, And the other side is the rejection of men. It's it's ridicule, scorn, persecution. But it's adorned with the full measure of grace and peace that come through the Spirit. Um, And he says, here's your choice. And he lays it out. This is what we have to choose. Um, So to start... um, I'd like to talk about a big theme in Galatians is freedom. Okay? And so what do we mean when we talk about freedom? Let's see. So freedom in our country is often defined as the ability, opportunity to do whatever I want to do. Okay? Right? I mean, if you think about the Constitution of the United States, that's what, you know, basically whatever you want is what you should be able to do. Um, you know, there's a few obviously restrictions, but, but that's our definition of freedom. And I propose that this is not the freedom that, that Paul is talking about. Um, because there's a key concept 
that's missing in that, and that is what's going to benefit me in eternity? Um, and, and what freedom do I have? There's certain things... Um, there, there are certain things that are good and certain things that aren't good. And, and the law lays out what those things are. You know, the law shows us the way to perfection, the way to get what will benefit me in eternity. Um, but that, it doesn't make me free. Um, it just lays out the way. And it shows me the way to get to. Um, but, but it doesn't make me free to do that because I'm still enslaved to, to, human na- to, to sinful nature. I'm still enslaved to my desires. And so um, what I would propose a better definition of freedom is, is the ability and opportunity to do and to desire to do that which will benefit me in eternity. Okay, so sit and think about that for a second. Because this is what I would say the, the freedom Paul's talking about. And what that means is, is it's the freedom to do what will benefit me in eternity. It's the freedom to be like God. Okay, it's the freedom to desire God's will. Okay, and that's the freedom we get in the new creation. That's the freedom we get um, through submitting ourselves to God. Okay, um, and we'll kind of come back to this idea as we go through. Okay, so uh, slavery and circumcision. Those of you who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Okay, so just a brief recap. Um, you know, we've talked about this over and over, uh, well, not over and over, but a few times. Um, circumcision. Remember, it's a sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. Okay. Um, it was a reminder to Abraham um, and his descendants, that they were the chosen people of God. Um, and it was a sign of Jewishness. I mean, it was what it was. It, it meant you were Jewish if you were circumcised. Um, every Jewish baby was circumcised when they were eight days old. Um, foreigners who had converted to Judaism were circumcised as a sign of their decision to follow the law. Um, it marked you as a law follower. It meant you were part of the covenant community of God. Um, but remember... Circumcision, uh, we discussed this a few weeks ago, circumcision was never meant um, to bring life. The law was never meant to bring life. Um, the law was meant to bring us, make us conscious of our sin. Um, so circumcision was never meant to be anything other than a sign, an outward sign of underlying faith. The law was never meant to replace faith um, as a means to salvation. So the important thing was always circumcision of the heart. Let's see what I got here. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so God called Abraham to lay down his own efforts and trust him. And Abraham had faith, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, so basically, there's this concept in Scripture that if you are circumcised in flesh only, um, you have punishment coming. Um, if you're not circumcised in the heart. And Paul talks about the circumcision of the heart in Romans 2. 25 through 29, um, I'm going to read it in just a second if you, if you want to turn to that passage. Um, so yeah, so I'll start reading Romans 2, 25 through 29. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, 
If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is inwardly, who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Okay, so um, we see in this passage the point of circumcision is inward submission to God's authority. Okay, and um, so basically. What I'm trying to get at um, is that it's a, it's a heart issue. Okay? And Paul's saying, look, circumcision doesn't matter. Okay? What matters is what's in your heart. Okay? And these people are trying to come to you, and they're trying to compel you to be circumcised, circumcised because they say it's about the flesh. It's about what you do. It's about the outward signs. Okay, and Paul says, no, that's not what's important. Okay? And we've seen this through Galatians, okay? um, that they are trying to impress people by means of the flesh, okay? by, by compelling people to become circumcised. But Paul says, uh, he, you know, through Galatians and other places, to be a Jew is to experience circumcision of the heart. So the question is, what does it mean to be Jewish? Is it to be circumcised and to be... a to be a follower of the law, or is it to be a person of faith who's seeking God? Okay. Um, and he says, Paul says in another place, you who call yourselves Jews aren't the real Jews, even though you were born into the covenant. Okay. Real Jews are those who are bow down at the cross and give their lives up to the service of God. Real Jews are those who experience the freedom from the law that is found only in Christ. Okay. So Paul takes on Judaism for the Christians. And he says, you're not the real Jews. Right. Okay. So, at the heart here, okay, Jesus said in John three three, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And John one eleven through thirteen says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So the idea here okay, um, is that Jesus came to save the Jews, the covenant people, okay, the covenant people who are circumcised in the heart. Okay? And so what matters is not the flesh. What matters is the rebirth. All right? um, and so um, after the death of Jesus, you know, we've that his followers went around telling everybody, you know, you don't have to be circumcised. There's no, there's no level you have to get to. There's no, no law you have to follow in order to be saved. All you have to do is put your faith in God. Um, and they said, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by a spirit, not by the written code. Okay. Um, but, of course, a lot of the, the Jews who were circumcised, the circumcision party, didn't like that. Right? And so they went around persecuting. Okay. So what does all this mean today? Um, okay. So what does all this mean today? Um, what God looks at is the heart. Okay. So we ask ourselves, what are we doing that's like circumcision? What are we doing in an attempt 
to show people that we're good enough? Okay. What are we doing that is an outward sign? Okay. And is it an outward sign of an inward faith, or is it just an outward sign? Okay. Um, and so, you know, as we examine our lives, um, I think we need to examine things like, you know, why do we come to church? You know, why are we here today? Okay. Is this a once-a-week thing, you know, where you come to church and, and that's it? Um, or, or is this merely a time to gather together because the rest of the week you're seeking God and pursuing Him and experiencing the change in the heart? Okay. Um, uh, similar things, um, yeah. So, so what makes you a follower of God? Okay, is it the outward things you do, or the the inward change? Okay, so just um, as we think about that. Um, so, whoops. Uh, why why seek the law? Why push circumcision? Okay, what were they trying to uh, what? So what were they trying to get get at? Um, and, and there's two things that are listed in this passage. To make a good impression outwardly and to avoid persecution. Okay? The circumcision party, the Judaizers, were trying to elevate the acts and ability of man, our own efforts, over surrender and submission to God. They were seeking to exalt the self over God rather than the reverse. Okay? Um, they were attempting to seek favor with the world and avoid its disapproval. So, because to follow the law was a source of honor in the Jewish community. To be circumcised was to mark yourself as a person who was a law follower, a person who was trying to fulfill every aspect of the law in order to be justified in God's eyes. Okay. Um, and so, it, just as a, a historical note, this wasn't unusual. Okay? There were rabbis who had come before who had made who had teachings um, that had been, after their death, their teachings and their followers had kind of been absorbed back into Judaism and kind of made more mainstream. Um, so the thinking at the time by a lot of people was that this movement of Christians would just be reabsorbed back into the Jewish faith, okay? and that what made them different would, would eventually fade away. Um, so, um, Why? Why did they run from the cross? What made them turn away from faith? And I would say their goal was to abolish, to get rid of the offense of the cross. Um, Their goal was to get rid of uh, the things that make the the cross hard to swallow. Um, And so in Galatians 5.11, Paul said, Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. So to preach circumcision was to abolish, get rid of the offense of the cross, to make it more palatable. The circumcision was trying to avoid persecution. But Paul here turns that that argument on its head and says persecution is a good thing. It proves that we are being faithful to the cross. Um, so, so why? Um, what was the offense of the cross? Matthew 10.22 says, You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Um, so Jesus is clear here that his followers would be persecuted, hated, and scorned. And he says that we'll have to pick up the cross, the sign of worldly shame, and follow him. Okay? 
Um, and he says, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. The world does not understand God, Jesus. They do not understand the way that we live. Okay? The cross is offensive to the world system. The world doesn't understand it. Um, the death of Jesus on the cross and the forgiveness it brings turns the entire system, worldly system of works and action, of, of benefit and reward on its head. Right? Um, it says you don't have to do, um, the cross says you don't have to do anything to be saved. You don't have to eat the right food. Um, you, don't have to, uh, you don't have to be circumcised. All you have to do is repent of your sins and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, not by works, so that no one can boast. Okay. The thing about the cross is that it requires us to be humbled. Okay. And this is the offensive part. It requires us to be humbled, not just before God, but before men. If you think about, um, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, just take up his cross and follow me. And if we go back to the scene of Jesus walking with the cross um, up to Calvary, um, we think of the scorn um, and humiliation that he endured um, as people mocked him and scorned him, um, spit on him. Um, He endured insults of men. um, And he calls us to the same thing, to take up our cross and endure that, the insults of men, daily. Okay. And the message is clear. Taking up the cross and carrying it behind Jesus is, in the eyes of the world, humiliating. And if you are in any way dependent on the praise of men, you will fall there. Okay. If you're dependent on the praise of men, you're not going to make it. Okay. Uh, because you'll be burdened by the shame and the humiliation that's put, put on you. Okay. Um, you'll avoid proclaiming Christ. Okay. Um, and we're going to see this just in the next passage here, um, or see see a kind of a corollary when it, when he says, uh, "Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world." And what I think he's saying here is, in order to truly follow Jesus to the cross to truly carry the cross, the world has to be crucified to you. It has to be dead. It has to be scorned. And you have to see the world as something entirely without value. Okay. Um, and in return, the world will see you without value. Okay. And that's, that's what reality is for us. Okay. So, um, let's see. All right, kind of so, just as some, some questions to think about in our life um, as we go through. Um, just kind of a pause here. Uh, do you proclaim Christ openly and without shame in the world? Okay, as you go through your daily life, is this something, is Christ something you proclaim at church? Okay. Um, and only mention God when you're around Christians in discipleship and Mac group and at church? Or is it something that's proclaimed openly? Um, do you challenge lies in, in people around you? Okay. Do you challenge the, the lies of the world? Um, or do you kind of avoid, avoid the Christian talk outside of church? Okay. Um, and the last one, are you afraid of being known as a Christian? Okay. Um, because if you're afraid of being known as a Christian, 
you know, it's, it's going to be difficult. It's, it's a difficult road. Okay? If you have that shame, it's going to burden and burden you down. Okay? All right. So, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What do we boast in? Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Um, You know, I know in my life, you know, I personally boast in a lot of things that aren't Jesus. You know, it's... It's difficult to do, um, to avoid. Um, I boast, uh, my sinful nature wants me to think that I'm special and better than, better than other people in some way. You know, so we seek, I seek after some little thing that can make me special or better than another person. Um, and, you know, I'm currently going through actually a process of interviews and um, for, for placement next year and it requires me to really just kind of boast about myself and my own, uh, my own abilities and everything. And it just, it kind of gets me every time. Um, it's, it's, you know, here I am uh, a boasting about myself and a struggle to maintain humility um, through that process. Um, so, but what Jeremiah says is, your wisdom, strength, your riches, those are absolutely irrelevant. Okay, uh, no matter how much the world tells you, money is money is what matters. It what matters here. What you should boast about, what should what should be at our heart, is that we understand and know the Lord. Okay, um, and here's what Paul says about boasting. He says, "If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness." He said, "My grace is." He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul talks about this boasting quite a bit, you know, in various places. Um... But he, again here, he turns the world's thinking upside down. He says, do not boast in strength, boast in weakness. It is in our weaknesses and only in our weaknesses that we experience the power of God. Um, because it's the areas in our lives where we consider strong are areas where we don't ask for God's help. Um, so those are the areas where we don't submit to God's power. So when we consider ourselves strong, we don't submit to God because we don't feel the need for God. Um, so... There are areas where these are the areas where we boast in our own power. It's in our weakness that God's power is revealed and exercised, because it is in our weakness that we turn to God, submit to Him, and see His work in our lives. So the irony of that is that our strength is not strength at all, because the true strength is found in the power of God. So this is what Paul means when he says, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Okay, so just as an example, I'm just going to read it. I, don't, I didn't have it up here, but here's what Paul boasted of, about. Here's his boasting on display. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? So, Paul boasts continually in his weakness and in the places where he needs God. I mean, we need God in every area. But. So, in our boasting, we should not boast as the world does because we are not seeking worldly favor and approval. We boast in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus said we must be born again in order to be saved. So this idea of rebirth implies a complete separation. So there's a complete separation um, between the former way of life and the new way of life. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and boast in our weaknesses and accept his strength, we're made new. So the new creation comes through our weakness. It comes through our submission to God and our turning to him and saying, we need you. Okay. My mind has been transformed so that the world is no longer attractive to me. It has been crucified to me, scorned and rejected. We kind of talked about some of that. Um, And I have been crucified to it, scorned and rejected as I seek the cross. This is a new reality. I'm in the world, but not of the world. So though we are inhabitants of the world, we are looking forward, keeping our eyes on the prize at the end of the race. Because what the world has is not of benefit to us. So, what do you boast in? Do you seek the approval of men or of God? Do you boast in your weakness? Do you see the power of God at work in your weakness? Um, When you're at work or at home or at the park or at the store, is it clear to others that you're not of the world? All right. New creation. Neither neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Instead of following the circumcision crowd, what Paul exhorts us to do is submit to be filled with the Spirit. Um, What counts is the new creation. Um, Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we're given new birth. Um, The world means nothing to us anymore. Um... Whether I'm circumcised or not doesn't matter. Whether I eat pork or not doesn't matter. Nothing matters except that I'm filled with the Spirit. I've crucified the sinful nature and yielded to the Holy Spirit. Um, And so the Judaizers have, have put the cart before the horse. They've said, you have to be holy in order to be saved. You have to be circumcised, a law follower, in order to be saved. And Paul says, no, you have to be saved to be holy. True freedom is the freedom to become more like God. The freedom to be holy as he is. So when Paul says that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, that's what he means. Your outward appearance, what you do, is not what gives you good standing in God's eyes. Because the Lord looks at the heart. So what does he mean by this new creation? What counts as the new creation? In Galatians 5, 6, Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
So it seems that in Paul's mind, new creation and faith expressing itself through love are interchangeable. So we, so we have this promise, new creation. That's the goal, that's what's coming. The point of the cross is to reconcile men to God and to usher in that new creation. Through the saving work of Christ, we are, we are reborn by believing in the Son of God and we are created anew. The essence of this new creation, this promise that's given to us, is faith expressed in love. Um, it's through faith that we are saved and it is through faith that we are given freedom, true freedom. So we come back to this idea of freedom. The gift that's given, the new creation that's given to us, the rebirth that we experience is the freedom to be like God. It is faith expressed in love. Okay, what do we mean by expressed in love? Um, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, the expression of love. Um, when the two commandments Jesus gave when he asked what was important, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The gift that is given is the freedom to desire this new creation as we are filled by the Spirit, by faith. Okay? And this is so offensive to the world, still enslaved to the desires of the sinful nature. Okay? Um, so we ask, what's important? this new creation. What's important to Paul? What counts? Faith expressing itself through love. Um, Is the number of people who attend a church service what's important? Is, um, you know, what's what's important? Is the number of people involved in outreach important? Um, What's important is that we see the effect of God's changing God's transforming work in the lives of people in this community. Okay? Um, and that's why, as a body, we pour so much energy into, into discipleship, um, into neighboring in our community, um, because we want to see the heart change in each individual. Okay? Um, because that's more important to us than seeing a lot of people come into the church. Um, we could put a lot. We could put all of our energy into making a fancy church service um, that was attractive to people, and we could fill this this place in a week. Um, but that's not that's not our goal. Um, yeah, our goal is to see the heart change. Okay. So, some more questions for you. Uh, they told me I wasn't given enough questions, so. <laughs> Somebody told me. Do you rest in God um, or are you trusting something else to carry you through? Um, When you say you have faith, what does that mean? Is it just something you believe? Is it just a head thing? Or is it expressed in love for your neighbors and for God? That's a very important question because that's true faith is expressed. Right? True faith is shown clearly to those around us. Okay? So where is your expression of faith and how is your faith expressed? I encourage you to think about these things. Alright. So the last verse we're really going to talk about here today is a uh, little help. Oh there we go. Okay. P 
peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. This is the promise right here is peace and mercy. This is what we get. This is what enduring the, humil- the, the humiliation and the scorn of men is worth. Peace and mercy. Okay, there are things that you can't buy, you can't get. Um, this is the promise to those who have submitted to the Spirit of God, who have given up on the idea of gaining worldly approval and sought instead the righteousness of God. We are given per- peace and mercy. So what's meant by this? Peace. Uh, old Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? What's the goal of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Under the sinful nature and under the law, we are incapable of glorifying God. Uh, to f- we are unable to fulfill our purpose. We are unable to enjoy him. Um, we are unable to do that which will benefit us in eternity. We are enslaved to the sinful nature. But under the new creation, we find fulfillment. We find peace. We find completeness. Um, It's in the expression of love for God and our neighbor that we glorify him, and it's in the freedom that's given to us under grace that we're able to enjoy serving God. Um, And so it's that freedom to desire God's will, that freedom to desire to serve God that we are given under the new creation. Okay? Um, So, under the law... We may have been able to act out parts of the law, but there is always that distance between what I desire, according to the sinful nature, and what I do. Um, But in the freedom offered in the new creation, um, to desire God's will and not desire the sinful nature, that dissonance is removed, and we're given peace. So that conflict is removed in our lives, the conflict between what I desire and what I do. Um, And then we're offered mercy. Okay. We're still people undergoing the process of sanctification. We're being made holy, but we have, we have sin in our lives. We fall to temptation. But though we are justified and forgiven in the eyes of God, we still have to walk through the process of sanctification. And as we submit more and more to the Spirit and are filled more and more by the Spirit, we will find our lives conforming more and more to the will of God. And we will find our desires turning more and more to God. And though we fall to sin, we have confidence to know that we've been granted mercy. I've got this whiteboard up here. I'm just going to draw something real quick. Almost done, I promise. Some of you have seen, well, a lot of you have probably seen this diagram before. Okay, so if we start here. Sinful nature. This is living in sin. Okay? Through salvation, okay, when we believe in God, he justifies us. Just, I'm not even going to write that. He justifies us. Okay? Um, and we are made holy as God is holy in God's eyes. Right? And this is the peace that we are given. There's no more conflict. We can rest in God that we are holy and we are saved. Okay? But the sinful nature still rules parts of our lives. And as we walk through with God the process of sanctification, we are made more and more like God. So this is our condition. 
And this is our position. We are saved, holy as God is holy. Right? But as our condition, we still fall to temptation, we still fall to sin. But here's where we experience mercy. And here's where we experience peace. Okay? And so as we walk through life, seeking after God, we experience his peace and we experience his mercy. And that's the beauty of this last verse. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. Who all, who, to all who follow this this second way of submission to the Spirit of God. So, to wrap it up, um, we're offered two paths through the book of Galatians. The first is offered by the Judaizers, the people who say, exalt yourself. It's the path of self-exaltation. It says you can do it. It says it is through the law you are saved. It says take pride in your flesh. Glory in your own efforts. Seek the praise of men. Claim Christ when it's convenient and when there's applause from men. But overall, seek your own exaltation. The second, defended by Paul, is the path of God exaltation. Lifting up God. It says you can't do it. Don't put any confidence in your flesh. It says that it is through grace you're saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It says take pride in your weakness. Boast in your weakness. Because it is in your weakness that the work of Christ is most evident. It says, consider the praise of men as rubbish, as, as garbage. Claim Christ in all circumstances, especially persecution. Know that if you take up your cross and follow Christ, you'll be mocked and insulted, spit on and kicked. But it's all worth it because the end result is peace and mercy. This is freedom, to consider the praise of men as nothing, to find your value in the pursuit of the knowledge of God. That's freedom, to boast in the weakness of the flesh and the strength of Christ. See, we sometimes think of the things offered by the world and the sinful nature as good. Um, And we think of following God as a sacrifice. But Paul stands up and says, no, it's the reverse. Taking up the cross and following Christ is the greater blessing. It's not a sacrifice at all because it's in submission to God that we find fulfillment and peace and the promise of the new creation. We are created new, we are reborn, we are transformed, and we are renewed. We are given a renewed mind that desires to seek after God. We are given the freedom to desire that which will benefit us in eternity. The will of God. And as we continue to seek God, as we continue to confess our sin and repentance and submit to the Holy Spirit in order to be filled by the Holy Spirit, our heart is changed. And we are given the desire for the things of God, and we are freed more and more from the sinful nature and its desires and thoughts. So we will, by throwing away the law that urges us to pursue perfection, find the freedom to seek and desire God's will. And we will be free to glorify God and enjoy him. And we will, in this, find peace and mercy. So, some final questions.
Um, are you pursuing the law? And are you enslaved to the praise of men? And are you afraid of persecution? Are you living a life of confession, accountability, and repentance? Do you regularly and continually submit your life to the Holy Spirit to be filled? And what motivates you? Why do you come to church? Why do you come to outreach? What do you boast in? Um, yeah. So, as we kind of uh, close up, I just want to leave you with these these thoughts. What what is at the heart of what you do, and what's the motivation? Okay, and just think about that as you go out of here, um, as you go through the week. Um, and remember, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. All right. So um, now we're going to enter a time of...